Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. The DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. I don't know yet, but I'm excited. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Yes! 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 All right. Good to be with you, and certainly appreciative of <laughs> those of you that actually requested that, um, that, that, that I do this here tonight. My name is Easy Weave. This is a special edition of Easy Does It. Here on the soon-to-be-changing The DBN Network. Haven't really talked about that and don't really plan on getting into it here tonight. This is a big night in the lore of our beloved Orange Helmets as uh, today, here Monday, October the 29th, the year of our Lord 2018, we have decided finally to move on from... Hugh Jackson as coach of the head, uh, the head head coach of the Cleveland Browns of the head Browns, and along with him, the offensive coordinator Todd Haley. Now I have to just preface this a little bit with you with you folks that um, I you know today was one of those days where I just was very just involved with with my work and just couldn't like pay attention to everything that was going on i heard that we fired you it's like oh man that's interesting and then really i couldn't find out anything more about anything that had really happened until you know much later on at least in terms of specifics and i did the best i could to i finally i just got done watching the presser with uh general manager john dorsey and owner jimmy haslam and i have done my best to peruse the Twitter, and also to try to glean as much as I can from um, the comments section. By the way, <laughs> about that, and no, don't worry, I'm not going to get you know go down 20 different rabbit trails as I am want to do. But all of the people um, coming to the the thread here today from other sites, like congratulating the Browns, <laughs> like other fans of other teams congratulating the Browns on this big move today. Uh, it, it was it was it was heartwarming and and weird for all the right reasons so appreciate you guys uh, but all that to say that i did the best i could to kind of bone up on as much information as i could about everything so that if i did come here to talk to you people about this that it wouldn't be just you know uh, me off the cuff well i guess it's always me off the cuff but i mean having some bit of knowledge about this so i can kind of bring to you not just some uh, insight you know and, and perspective and, and whatever it is that you get out of this arrangement but also you know something in the way of some actual knowledge here's what we know based on and you know the, a, a presser a press conference given by anybody you almost have to assume in most circumstances that you're getting you know bs that you're just not going to be getting i, I kind of look at it like this if you're running any kind of a large 
you know operation of business or an organization like uh, like we have with the Cleveland Browns, a sports franchise. Basically, you don't want the outside world to know anything that you are thinking. And, uh, and this is this is kind of like the Godfather rule uh, that. You know, you never tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking ever. Remember that scene where uh, Sonny jumps in on the combo? That's that's one of these things that in and so I, because of that, because that is the way that I operate and the way that I think that most smart businesses should and organizations ought to operate. It means that there is sometimes a lack of candor whenever you are, you have these sort of of uh, press you know announcements to the world about what is going on in your organization. And candidly, you can't really expect for the guys that are are giving the you know the, that are giving the answers to be totally you know candid about everything that they're saying. And you have to kind of read between the lines about some things. And the, 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 you know, we've had various characters in the past. You know, Sashi Brown, who the last time that I had to do one of these special broadcasts, it was the night that we, we fired Sashi. And I was, you know, for those of you that were around then that are listening to this right now, I was significantly angrier <laughs> when, when all that got going. I, just, I was very, um, I was hot when, when that when that happened, because I, 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 and I think that to some extent, um, the the sacking of Hugh kind of indicates that a little bit. Not even going to get into all that, uh, but just saying that I'm, I'm much, much, much more chill today. But the b- before the sacking of Sashi happened, I actually did. It's the only time I've done this, and I probably should do it again. But I parsed an entire press conference that he did, and Sashi is one of these guys that is about as erudite and articulate as you can hope for. I mean, and not only in the sense that he gives full and complete answers, but they are answers that if you don't want anybody outside the organization to know what it is you're actually thinking, they were perfect. They said everything without saying anything. And as I say, he was he was erudite. I mean, it was he was wonderful. But, you know... We, we, we got rid of him over the whole A.J. McCarron uh, failure, quote-unquote, to execute a trade, which I still don't buy. <clears throat> but it, whatever, it was the excuse that was given. And the I, I, in, in looking at this thing here today, and watching Dorsey and watching uh, Haslam, Jimmy Haslam, the owner, and John Dorsey, the, uh, the GM, a, a pretty significant difference between the demeanor of Sashi and his style, and the, and these two guys. In the first place, I'm. I mean, somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looked fairly obvious to me that Jimmy Haslam was straight up drinking a beer, like during the press conference, and it looked like he had no qualms about it either. Just like you know, waiting for the announcer to ask their question. He would answer it, and then he would <laughs> slug off of his beer, while you know Dorsey would would start answering other questions and kind of had the attitude of, I'm the owner, I'm the one that paid a billion dollars for this team, so I get to drink beer, and this guy over here has to has to you know, actually take you guys seriously. And Dorsey did, you know, did a, did a fine job. I mean, he, 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 he see, he's a totally different, I love the guy. I, I, I can't, I can't lie. I, you know, I should, because I was such a, a sashy, um, people use the word apologist uh, incorrectly. It may be, you might be able to say I was a sashly apologist. Sure. Has nothing to do with apology, by the way. The word apologist. But I, I was I was definitely a, a sashy aficionado. I was a huge fan of what he was doing. And I appreciated the approach and I, I liked the the uh, 
the draft capital that he had amassed. So when we get rid of him, a guy that wasn't the GM, he was the executive vice president of football operations, but we get rid of a guy like that, then I'm supposed to hate the new guy. I, I don't. I love John Dorsey. I, I affectionately refer to him as Meathead around here. It was when we when he first got here, the 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 striking difference between. Uh, Sashi and uh, Dorsey from from just an, an, an articulation standpoint, just the fact that, that listening to the guys talk, we, he, he gained that moniker because we were kind of like, okay, we're dealing with a total idiot here, guys. But then you actually watch what he does, and it's like, okay, this guy, he's 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 sharp. But you see, he does the same thing. He will he will talk to you for you know a minute, two minutes about whatever it is that he's talking about. And you will come away from that exchange no, absolutely no more informed than you were at the at the uh, outset of him asking the question or answering the question. So I, I, I kind of enjoy that. I mean, it's a different way of going about doing things, but he just, you know, he really kind of hunkers down. He's like, oh, let me tell you something right now. That's a very talented team, and we expect to go out there and win football games as a football team together, as a football team. You know, the guys have a lot of talent, and you know, we have a lot to play for, and we expect to do everything we can to put them in the best position to win games. Well, that's great, Meathead, but the question was about why you guys fired you. <laughs> and honestly, they both did a good job of you know, during the presser, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna play it or parse it because it's just not worth it. You can find it; it's easy. Um, and besides, it's it's one of these things. To me, uh, these things again, they're 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 worth it, not for necessarily the information that you gain out of it, unless you're able to effectively read through, you know, read the tea leaves and try to kind of glean something that's not being said but may still be being communicated. Because people can do that. People that are trying to withhold something, if you have a talented uh, person asking the questions, then you can get them to answer the question that you want, even if you're taking them down a road they aren't thinking that they're necessarily going down. And I'm not really giving you know Cleveland media a whole lot in the way of, of uh, credit here that they could or did do that here, but there was a couple of things. They really keyed in on, and I got to be honest with you, I was kind of surprised, because the things that the Cleveland media, and it's all the same people that, that you know, uh, you know, MKC and and uh, Tony Grossi and uh, Pat McNannerharn and the guy uh, Terry Pluto, and, like all the guys, you know, all the people that that are the regular, um, you know, Browns. They were all there, and they were all asking the, the pertinent questions. Are you going to be the one picking the coach, or are you going to uh, give that? priority, are you going to delegate that to John Dorsey? And for all intents and purposes, Haslam said the structure isn't changing here. Uh, Greg Williams, oh, by the way, that's that's the thing. We fired Hugh Jackson, we fired Hugh, uh, uh, sorry, Todd Haley, and we um, we raised, we hired Greg Williams, we promoted him from defensive coordinator to head coach, where he will also still be the defensive coordinator. Which is fine. I don't really have an issue with with any of that. I, I think everybody kind of thought that it was going to be Haley. Some of the speculation is that uh, they offered it to that when they didn't offer it to Haley, that he threw a fit, and that's why they they eighty sixed him as well as Hugh. Who knows? And listening to what both uh, Dorsey and Haslam had to say about it, they said the only person that we talked to about this was Greg Williams. And okay, cool. So. He's the guy now, and he's a, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. But um, 
again, you know, Haslam in that direct question in between, you know, sips of the PBR was like, you know, uh, Greg's going to report directly to me. And basically kind of to me, to my mind, even though there are some people, God love them, you know, they're, they're out there. Uh, thinking that he basically said he's giving full autonomy and full authority to John Dor. I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. You're free to go back and listen to it yourself and see if you gleaned that meaning from that. I don't. You know what? It's funny. It's 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 amazing how days begin uh, sometimes. You know, and yesterday after the loss, one of the most demoralizing losses. I mean, because it's not like the the, the the five or six games we've had this year that were close right down to the end. You know, nail biters and so on. You know, that game yesterday, I just never felt like we had a shot. We had a shot. I have more of an optimistic take that we're going to beat Kansas City this weekend than I had at any point during the week leading into either of the last two games. And one of the teams that we played over the course of that, not very good, the Buccaneers, who, by the way, they screwed their franchise over forever. I don't care. I just, you know, I just don't care. <laughs> but I, maybe one day I'll talk about. Maybe I'll start a a, a, a Bucks podcast and, and talk for, you know, about five minutes because it's about this seems about the interest down there. But anyway, anyway, all of that. They're not a good team, and yet I didn't have any thoughts that we were going to win that game. I actually kind of do feel like we got a shot here now with uh, Greg Williams or whoever. It, it was originally, and again, I don't know, I'm, I, as I'm trying to gain all this information, you know, I, I, I the first reports were that it was going to be Al Saunders, which made some sense to me. That would kind of would have been my, if it's not going to be Haley, then I would have thought that it would be Al Saunders would be the guy, because he's kind of been Hughes' assistant coach this entire time. But then that was, uh, I, and I don't know where those reports came from. I just know that they, they started popping up as I'm trying to do other stuff and also kind of keep track of what's going on. I mean, okay, it's going to be Al Saunders. Okay, cool. And then it's, no, it's not going to be Al Saunders. It's going to be Greg Jack, uh, Greg Williams. Okay, so it's going to be Greg Williams. And uh, so, again, in the process of, you know, kind of the Cleveland media people kind of hammering Haslam and Dorsey about this, they gave kind of their, their pat non-answer answers. But the things that they did kind of reveal are there has been something going on. And, you know, and, and I guess for a lot of people, it's, oh, duh, yeah, of course there's been something going on. But, I mean, there's things that have been happening within the organization that uh, he, the, the word discord was used. Something happened that really caused uh, Haslam to get angry with the situation above and beyond the lackluster performance on the field, which is bad enough. But apparently it's it seems to again, I, this is just me, you know, uh, uh, interpreting what I heard there and what I saw kind of, you know, when it comes to these things, too, I, I, I body language is a big deal to me now. Body, you know, I, I came away from that Sashi press conference, and one that I mentioned earlier, thinking that I read the body language. This guy's going to be around for a long time. Nope, he was fired like the next week. Okay, so the body language may not mean anything here, um, but to me, the the, the kind of the, the body language really, and, and the facial expressions and the tone uh, in the first place, I really do believe that Jimmy Haslam really, really did love Hugh Jackson as a man, as a person, and as a as a coach that was going to get him you know over the hump here i really believe that that he believed that and there's something that's going on here because he mentioned that you know the discord that had been going on uh within the the walls of berea was just something that they're not going to tolerate anymore they're not going to put up with it anymore okay well that's this is the really the first that i've been hearing in any definitive sense about said discord, but you can kind of put it together, right? I mean, you can kind of tell that there's been some kind of a... And they also, by the way, were very meticulous about not answering 
any questions about what just happened. You know, that was the thing. You know, Meathead gives the non-answer answer about, uh, you know, we're just going to go out there. And I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, there is, there is a football team that is ready to go out there and execute. And we, what we got to do is we got to put the, the, the coaching staff around them in terms of the players going to get the, the guys are going to get them the most prepared. And that's what our role is right now. And that's the only thing that we can do. I mean, I could do this all day. Seriously, it's not that hard to do. And and these guys, I'm like, I could be, they should, seriously, some teams should hire me to be their, their press guy. Because I would be, like, I would go out there and give everybody a show for, like, 20 minutes and not answer anything ever. It would be great. But Meathead does it in his own way. And by the way, as I say that, I say that with love and affection. When John Dorsey drafted Baker Mayfield, he became my guy 100,000%. And so all of this, whenever I say that, it's just the holdover. And now it's become, an, it's become a term of endearment. You know, when I, when I say Meathead, I mean, you know, that's my dude, Meathead. I love that guy. And I do. Like, and I say the combination of him and Haslam together, I mean, <laughs> I, it, it really, it's, it's worth it just, just for that to watch this thing. But again, what I got out of it is, number one, the organizational structure is going to be the same. And as I say, it's funny how days start because this morning after, you know, yesterday going down the way that it did, um, one of the people, if I get up really, really early, and today I got up at like 4 a.m., which I, isn't really, really early, I guess, but it's, 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 it's early enough. And one of the people that I commiserate with whenever I do get up that early is my, my brother Forth, who's over in uh, uh, Budapest. And, you know, Forthy is up at, I mean, he, he's, he's, you know, he lives in the future. He's six hours ahead of us. So four o'clock in the morning for me is 10 a.m. for him. So we just, you know, and, and, and we're in fairly perpetual communication anyway uh, through the social medias. So we got to talking and he comes out with right away. He's like, I, I, he's like, I'm blown away. He's like, we've always said that, you know, we've always looked at, at what Jimmy Haslam's organizational structure is. He said, but I never – and what he said was – this is actually kind of an impressive thing. He's like, you know, I, I've always kind of said, yeah, he just won't, you know, copy a, uh, a, a workable um, structure like what the Steelers have, who he came from. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. What is the Steelers' structure? Well, lo and behold, he goes and he looks for it, and he finds out that it's exactly what Haslam has been doing here. Basically, because, you know, he was a minority owner of the Steelers, and that was his formative football experience before coming to us. And basically, the way that they run things there is everybody reports to the big guy. Everybody reports to the owner. And so we're talking about this this morning. And it stands to reason that, yep, he sees the Steelers as the quintessential organization in all of football. And so he's going to build his team the way that he sees that team built. Copycat league. And, not, and that's not even just a copycat league. Anybody that's ever worked in any sort of a, a, a successful organizational structure would be foolish not to take those principles with them if they went to go do their own thing. Now, the thing is, is that, and this was kind of the point of consternation between both uh, Fortho and myself, and, and then I went and I put it on the chow and I totally took, took credit for it and acted like I'm the one that came up with it. <laughs> but we... Uh, we both came to the conclusion that, well, the reason this doesn't work is because you got to have, I mean, look, the Steelers have had three head coaches over the last 46 years. I'm going to say that again. Three head coaches in the last 46 years. Mike Tomlin, before him was Bill Cower, before him was Chuck Knoll. That goes all the way back to 1972, y'all. That's how long that they have been consistently doing what they are doing. And then on top of that, I mean, and look, before then they were they were dogmat of the league, doormat of the league for uh, dogmat. I mean, that's a new word for like forty years. 
And then they, they get they end up picking a great coach off the Paul Brown coaching tree and then have one of the most spectacular drafts of all time and then manage to put that together into a team uh, chemistry and, and a team culture that ends up being you know dominant for several decades. And, okay, voila, if you do that, if you do all that, then, yeah, you can have an organizational structure like they have over there in Pittsburgh. But, you know, we're starting with no, – not only did we start with next to nothing, but we've totally grinded it down to all the way down to nothing and then built it back up over the last couple of years. So all that to say, you know, this was kind of the, how the day started, and we're looking at this from the standpoint of and, – and I went th- at that point – because my, my whole thing, if you've been listening to me or, or reading me or whatever, my thing has been that I have not been – keen on replacing Hugh with just anybody because don't you tell me that things can't get worse at the same time I've also been looking at this whole situation and seeing kind of the regression of Baker Mayfield and I mean the, the, the kid is is not doing things that he did in college no I'm not talking about completing passes I'm talking about being able to make decisions and read defenses stuff that he's proficient at doing all of a sudden he's not doing and I asked the question and I got I I, I am going to be very very curious to see if he's out there audibling on Sunday, and if he is, because this question's not going to get answered, because Haslam and Dorsey wouldn't answer any questions about, you know, it's funny, they call a press conference to talk about how they fired Hugh Jackson and refuse to answer any questions about the circumstances that led to them firing Hugh Jackson. Whatever. I don't even care. I think it's great. But the, the both that we fired Jackson and their, their approach to the whole thing. But I'm telling you, there's something about this going from, you know, Baker comes in his first game and the guy looks like a star right from the rip to what we've seen the last couple of weeks. And he's just a totally different player, just totally different player. Why? How does that happen? And I think that if we see him out there making line adjustments and, and call, first of all, if that happens, if you see if you see him out there being more active in the pre-snap stuff, watch the protection improve. If I'm right about this, and I could be wrong, I could be totally wrong, and we're not going to find out ultimately until the bullets start flying on Sunday. I'm going to tell you what, I'm about 100% more uh, excited about this week, and I don't even care if we go out there and the Chiefs beat the hell out of us, which of all rights they should do. There's no reason to expect us to go out there and win this game on Sunday. I don't even care. I just want to see Bate go out there and look better than he has the last couple of weeks, and I'm convinced that the reason that he has looked as shoddy as he has is because of the influence I thought predominantly of Hugh Jackson because of looking at the way that he's treated the rookie quarterbacks that he's had on the roster the last couple of years. But then I've also got to throw Todd Haley into the mix because he's been the offensive coordinator all year. Now coming into that role is going to be Freddie Kitchens. And if you don't know who Freddie Kitchens is, he's actually Ishmaeli Kitchens' brother. No, I'm kidding. That did no relation whatsoever. I, I actually don't know anything about him. Um, I had to do uh, a – other than – okay, here's what I know about him. He has been uh, to this point in his you know time with us. He's um, He's been a – a tight ends coach he's been a running backs coach he's been a quarterbacks coach he's been all over the offense he was with arizona um wow look at look at the google is already up to date on he's already the offensive coordinator of the cleveland browns he apparently you know and, and dorsey was asked this during the meeting that during the presser he's like you know has, has kitchens ever called plays and he's like no no but you know he did do it earlier this year as as it turns out and he did and he did really well as it turns out um, Kitchens actually called the final preseason game against Detroit. He called that game, and if you recall, we got out to a big. Now it's the fourth preseason game. I don't know how much you really, how much stock you want to put into that. Uh, but the guy has done it. So a new off. It's going to be. It's 
it's all new. I mean, it's it's all new because Greg Williams is going to continue running the defense. So what has happened here is, and and you you got to figure if Greg Williams is still running the defense while coaching the team, in the first place, I got to imagine that this whole, you know, wanting to be the player's best friend. Uh, trying to be the most popular guy in the clubhouse as opposed to being their boss and all of that. I I think that that is something that, for all the faults that Greg Williams has, I think that, uh, in the first place, his unit hasn't been as exposed as the other units so far this year, although it looked pretty damn bad yesterday. But for all the folks that Greg, all the faults that Greg Williams has, he's not exactly Captain Soft and Cuddly. Like he's not the guy, the type of guy that's going to go out there. And I kind of think of this in a way. I watched a, you know, because I, I I do live down here in Tampa, and when the, the Browns left town, um, the Buccaneers kind of became my team only because I didn't have any other team to watch, and I had a history with the Buccaneers before then. So I've always had a love for the Bucks, and there's a great, you know, when they won the Super Bowl in 2002, that was a really you know cool. Moment moment for anybody that had followed that team and there's a a, a a video you know they do these kind of the the stories of sports teams and it's warren Sapp, who in real life is kind of an a-hole but in in here he's talking about the experience of going from tony dungy to john gruden i'll talk about a crazy comparison to compare that situation to this situation but he was describing it that, you know, Dungy came in every day and was just very, you know, first of all, he was very calm and he was very quiet and he was very, you know, concerned about the the players and not just their their physical well-being and their ability to contribute to the team, but also just their mental well-being, their spiritual well-being. And, and I, you know, I, I, I have met the coach. He's a wonderful guy. And, and yeah, I mean, he there's there's um, I, I can see all of that. And it's certainly the all of the stuff that that kind of everybody assumes about him and his demeanor and all of that, that kind of comes through. So then we bring in Gruden, and Gruden is like, um, you know, just totally polar out. He doesn't care about any of that. He just wants to go out there and win, and he's chiding the guys. And you listen to Sap when he's talking about the the Dungy experience, you can see that there's reverence in his face, and he really appreciates and loves the coach. But then you can see that Gruden's approach totally different but you can see that he appreciated it even more, even though he didn't say that. Because, ultimately, that's what it took to get that team over the hump. This is a thing down here. And I'm not going to play. On the day that Hugh gets fired, you know, EZ's talking about the, the, the Bucks coaching swap in, in uh, 2001. I, listen to me, okay? That team under Tony Dungy was a fantastic defense. And they had, I mean, all-world defensive players. And that scheme that they ran, it was revolutionary. Tony Dungy was, was excellent with that. But they were never going to get over the hump without what John Gruden brought to the table. And this is something that Bucks people down here never want to admit. You know, Gru- uh, Dungy is the one that's venerated. Gruden is the one that's kind of like, you know, he's, he's kind of like an afterthought. But if Gruden doesn't come in with his offensive philosophy, with the personnel grouping that he brought, and he literally brought like, you know, five or six new offensive players in with him that were all older guys, because that's how Gruden rolls. He brings in old dudes. But they instantaneously improved the offense. The offensive structure, Brad Johnson was all of a sudden much better as a quarterback. And they went out there and won and not only won the Super Bowl, but they, they dominated that entire season. Uh, and, and it was just the, the collection of talent that they had at that time just was not responsive to the coaching that they had at the time, or at least not to the level that they could get at. And it required a fiery guy coming in there and getting them over that hump. Now, 
are the Browns the equivalent of the 2002 Buccaneers? I mean, I, I am. I, I, I think you know Baker may be a better quarterback than Brad Johnson, but that, look, at, that, that's not really the point here. The point is there's a lot of talent on this team. Dorsey made a point of this multiple times throughout the presser today. There is a lot of talent on this team, and the move today. You know, and the kind of the and they made this point over and over again when talking about you know what's the new role of the coach going to be? How are we going to go through that process? Are you going to have a hiring? You know, are you going to let uh, Meathead get involved with it? Are you going to do all the things? And and to his credit, Haslam would just not answer that question, or he kept answering it the same way. Hey, we got a lot of football left in this season. There's there we got we got eight games left. We're going to go out there and try to do our best. There's a lot of season left here, and that's where our focus is going to be now. In the process of doing that, and again, you got to kind of read the tea leaves here. They didn't say that they are considering Greg Williams to be the full-time guy, but they also, if you if you kind of watch closely, unless I'm all wet here, which is possible, but it really looked to me like they were also saying, but you know, there is a shot that maybe he could be the guy, and that. Look, if that ends up eventuating, and Greg Williams has a checkered pass, was not very good as a head coach, and even has said, you know, he's got a, a sign on his desk saying, you're not the head coach, you're, you coach the defense. You're not the head coach, coach the defense. Well, obviously, our guys saw enough in him. And by the way, he seems like the ultimate like meathead guy. Like if if you if you were gonna pick a guy that meathead would pick, that John Dorsey would pick to be his guy, you would it, Dor- Greg Williams all the way. It's weird though, because Greg Williams also really, 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 really loyal to Hugh Jackson. So it's just an oddball thing. Now, at the same time, he's also probably just a mercenary. So it's just difficult to tell um, whether or not he really is being considered for a long-term role. But I'm here to tell you, if this team goes out there and looks 180 degrees different, particularly on offense, because defensively, I mean, we played well enough against the Bucks and played well enough for a lot of the game yesterday. The second half was, was a nightmare, but it's what it is. But the defense has played well enough in a lot of these games. I mean, we're still leading the league. We are leading. The- we are two, five, and one, and we are leading the league both in takeaways and turnover differential. That's absurd, and that goes back to you know lackluster coaching and all of that. But maybe it's not even about the game management because I have no idea what sort of game management game manager that Greg is. You know, we're gonna find all that out together. But I don't really even care about that as much as if the attitude of the team changes if if the attitude and the demeanor of this ball club and here's the change that needs to happen and i don't know if williams can bring this or not but i know that he's going to get a shot to do it but my takeaway from all of this is that greg williams is not just an interim head coach greg williams is going to get a legitimate shot to become the head coach they did say that specifically you know what what uh jimmy said was that yeah well you know if we get to a point of having a search and Greg is interested, then we'll certainly uh, we'll we'll consider him. And that's that's and, and that's almost verbatim. I mean, I took a little bit of liberties there, but you know, if there's a search, that means that maybe there won't be a search. But again, you know, and all of this could be a, a smokescreen. And certainly, they're they're out there looking at guys. They have to be. They have they they would be. I'm sure they're out there looking at guys. And you know, I mean, in the same sense that uh, Dorsey had like a full. Uh, an entire season, 
right, to look at, to scout you know, players for the upcoming draft that happened, and he summarily went out there and crushed last April's draft, you know, now he's got a full half season to look at, you know, all the coaching prospects that could be out there. I don't really know that anybody's available right now. If there were anybody out there right now, then presumably that would be the guy that you could you could bring in. But at the same time, you don't, I mean, you can't really do that. You can't really, we talked about this yesterday, you can't really bring in a guy midway through and expect him to be able to install all the stuff that he wants to do. So the next best thing is you promote from within, and that's what we've done here. We promoted Williams from within, but Williams doesn't care about the offense. He's not going to do anything with the offense. The offense now is totally going to be in the hands of Freddie Kitchens, and I think what that means is that this offense is going to be totally in the hands of Baker Mayfield. Because quite honestly, I think he's probably the smartest guy in that offensive room, and has been probably all year. Now, you can say, we've easy, you're crazy, you're a rookie. I don't care. I don't care. This kid... He's special, and one of the things that was getting um, really aggravating to watch over the last couple of weeks is seeing, you know, some of that get get tarnished by just some really lackluster coaching. I understand we've got problems with the wide receivers. I understand we've got problems with the offensive line. I'm telling you right now, if we see him out there making adjustments at the line and calling audibles, you are going to see an improved offensive line on Sunday. Take it to the bank. If, 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 if. You know, if my my qualifying statement is true, then you can absolutely take to the bank. You know, okay, so, it, so who knows? I don't know that that's the answer. And it could be that, you know, that maybe Baker is just lost out there, but it just doesn't jibe with me, folks. It doesn't make any – I said folks now twice. I never ever use that word. But it's – now I'm going to use it ten more times because it's on my head. But the – the problem is not that um, that we lack talent at the quarterback position for the first time in the longest time. You know, the problem has been that for whatever reason we are out there, um, you know, retarding his development, and and I you know mean that in the in the uh, clinical definition of the word. It, it, we were doing everything we could to not intentionally, mind you, but just it, it, we weren't maximizing what his skills were and as a result and then the offense we were running has been it's looked ridiculous I mean we're and again I I point to that play yesterday on fourth and or third and three where you can see the guy creeping up to the line of scrimmage and you gotta wonder I've seen Baker make calls at the line I know that he can see the guy I know that he doesn't just miss these things and yet doesn't make any kind of an adjustment, calls the play. Predictably, it's dropped for a loss because nobody blocks the guy, and we end up kicking a field goal. I, I'm just convinced of this. And if Bate goes out and throws four picks and looks terrible, then whatever. I think it might actually be a shootout against the Chefs because, you know, they don't necessarily have the best defense in the world. And... Um, you know, we might actually be able to do something you know, offensively against them. We'll see. We will see. But I'm, um, again, I'm certainly um, much more looking forward to that contest than I was after uh, you know after that dog vomit game that we watched yesterday. That, I mean, that was that was so terrible yesterday. It was. It was just. It was. It was hard. Um, one of the most again, one of the more demoralizing games in watching this team for the last 27 years was that game yesterday. Just knowing that we had no chance, and knowing that even if our guys, even if our players went out there and performed at their top level, we didn't have a chance because of the poor coaching. And I know we've had bad coaches. I, I you know I'm not going to defend all of the guys we've had here before, but we've never had anybody as bad as this guy. And. I actually, and you know, I probably should have opened with this, and I kind of feel bad now that I didn't, because uh, I was going to, and then you know how things are. Um, I feel for Hugh Jackson a couple of things. I think that he's probably going through 
a a, a really um, a, a really challenging you know I a period of time from the standpoint of in the first place this had to have been crushing. And I get it. Anybody could have seen it coming. He probably should have seen that this was going to happen. He should have seen the writing on the wall, all that. But I, 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 still, he's a human being. And people have emotions and all of that. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sure that this was a shock to him, that this was coming. So you have to deal with the disappointment. Not just with the disappointment of, I just got fired from this job. I just got fired from this job. And my head coaching record is, what is it now? 10 what 45 and 1 or something crazy like that if i'm if i'm Hugh Jackson i'm looking at it today after i get the news like i'm never going to be a head coach again that dream is dead now on one hand you look at it and say well yeah i mean you know like it'd be like me easy weave saying no my my dream is of becoming a brain surgeon died today because i went to the hospital and applied and they said okay well look if you you got to you kind of have to have the skills in order to do that maybe get a different dream there eh, bub so i get it you know but but still he's a man he's a human being but there's another there's another aspect of this that um that i thought of uh, it may be, you know, if you remember the first episode of Hard Knocks, the very first episode, he lost his brother and his mother, and there really wasn't a whole lot of details given about that, but he had lost both of them, you know, like within two weeks of the airing of that first episode. And so you see him, you know, kind of dealing with that. Now, look, I, I don't I don't know the man. Um, I have no no animus towards the guy now. I, I I don't. He seems like a perfectly affable fellow, just not good at coaching my Browns. But he, he you know, he comes across as as, as a likable guy and all that. So I don't know him, but I do know that I do know people, and I do know that people deal with things different ways. And one thing about Hugh, as I was thinking about this tonight, is. You know, when you deal with something like that, when you deal with, you know, the loss of a family member, and I can't say that I have gone through losing two people that I was that close to in such short proximity. I mean, certainly I've lost loved ones. Um, I guess that's not true. I have lost people um, in close proximity before. But still, that's it's, it's a very, very tough thing to deal with. And... There is no, like I say this all the time about a lot of things, there is no one-size-fits-all way of doing things. And when it comes to Hugh Jackson, like, we're watching that episode of Hard Knocks, and I come away from, came away from that first episode like, wow, this guy, to be able to pull it together after what he must be going through was just superhuman, um, you know, ability to kind of hold it together. And I almost wonder if, because regardless what you think of the guy, and regardless of the job that you think that he did, there's no doubt that he was there spending time trying to improve this team. Lots of time, lots of hours trying to improve this team. And I kind of watched, you know, he had the the, 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 the thing where he told his coaches, and maybe it was a setup job, I don't know, but, you know, hey, my mom died. Um, okay, so let's get back to reviewing film. And... Okay, maybe some of that was grandstanding, or maybe some of it was for effect, or whatever the case may be. But it's also very possible that when that happened, that 
he was able to deal with that, to overcome that, by just immersing himself in his, in his in his job, in his very very you know important job that is you know was was facing kind of a, a critical state. I'm wondering now today if after now having lost this job, if the weight of losing those people are is hitting him fully or is going to hit him fully. Um, maybe over the next couple days or weeks, you know, in in ways that it hasn't up to this point. And I, I don't know. And I certainly don't do not mistake my tone here. I am not hoping that for the man. I mean, I'm not a monster. I don't wish that on on anybody. But I am genuinely, you know, curious about it. I wonder if it's one of these things that because another thing that I think is that him getting you know um, released is on one hand yeah it's got to be a tremendous disappointment it's got to be the end of a dream it's got to be all this all this at the same time it's probably also even though he doesn't want to admit it you know i thought of a good analogy for this it's kind of like if you get dumped by a really hot psychopath like chances are it's the best thing for you is to get dumped and even though i mean hey check her out or check him out you know the smoking hot but yeah um definitely you know i'm not saying that skin suits are totally out of the equation i mean so you have to kind of balance these 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 types of things and i guess in this analogy we are the the uh the psycho hot chick or guy well you know whatever your flavor but it, it, and, and maybe it doesn't hold up but it's kind of is that same thing where probably for his own well-being and sanity being away from this may be the best thing for him. And I, I really do think that the, the the stress of probably having been worried now for over a year... You realize that it was, like, what, a, a year ago tomorrow, is it? Maybe it was today. That the whole Sashi firing and all of that happened. That was a year ago. That was a freaking year ago. And you got to figure that ever since that happened, he has been walking around with a conscious target on his back, knowing full well... And so does that impact some of the demeanor? Does that, you know, possibly cause some of the discord that, that uh, Haslam referred to? Does it make for locker rooms being even more tensed up? And does it lead to teams, our team in particular, having the sense of, you know, we get, we're up by six, we're up by six points. We're totally, you know, beating them in every phase of the game. We miss a field goal and everybody on that team, including everybody in the fan base thinks we're going to lose this game. We're, we're, we're done. We're going to lose. That's, you know, got to be something that, that plays a factor into this. Cause I think that it's kind of like, if you play not to get hurt, play not to get, play not to lose, you're going to get hurt and you're going to lose. Because if you're trying to defend against something, it's like the whole thing, don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. The only thing you can think about is a pink elephant. You know, if, if someone tells you not to, it's just kind of the way that... So I, I wonder about that. I wonder about that those factors. Because I kind of think that right now it's it's really tough for him. But he's also going to sit back and think, well, you know, I'm still getting paid uh, by this club for a while. So I'm not exactly a poor man. And then maybe after a little bit of time goes by, maybe he lets that beard grow out a little bit, and I think that you're going to end up seeing him on NFL Network or on ESPN or somewhere, and he's going to look like years younger. He's going to look like just his whole demeanor, his whole way of, of – he's just going to be a much, much more settled uh, guy, I think, when when that when the time comes for all of that. Right now, I'm sure – 
it's it's really diff- and again, people why why easy why the hell are you spending so much time focused on because I mean I you know he's a guy he's a he's a guy that's been in our lives for what you know two and a half years which for a coach he hadn't been we haven't had anybody in our lives from a coaching standpoint since Romeo for that long and when Romeo you know got canned I considered his uh, happiness I do that for all these guys you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm a carer I care out there but also it's just you know it's 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 it is interesting to me to also consider what that sort of mindset effect could have been having on this club on this team and at that point i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm very much of the mind that uh, it, pretty much no matter what we did and go but going the direction that we did i'm 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 the most satisfied with that you're not going to get that anxiety any longer in the clubhouse you're not going to have whatever whatever it was that was going on and you know, we, I, I mentioned this. I mentioned it yesterday. I'm pretty sure, but I've talked about it before. That scene from that Hard Knocks. Maybe it was that first Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks. I don't know. But the one where Haley is trying to say, "Look, if we want to get to that level that we want that we say we want to get to, then we are going to have to do things differently than how we're doing them." And he was like, "Hey, look, Todd. You know, I'm driving the bus. I'm the boss. I'm the you know." And then that got the. But I wonder if you know at the time I'm thinking you know if this guy has been giving I'm the boss speeches for the last you know three years, then it stands to reason why we haven't been able to effectively get our players uh, on board and to get the coaches on board because everything's a damn power struggle. But I wonder how much of that now was personal, considering that they both got you know uh, chopped out of this. You know they talked about discord, and there's all sorts of speculation uh, that you know that the, 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 some of the rumors are that that Haslam wanted to fire Haley only, but then Dorsey said, no, you got to get rid of Hugh. So they compromised and got rid of both. And I've also heard the reverse of that, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what the mechanism is whereby big decisions are made within this group. My guess is that Haslam called Dorsey into his, into his office a couple of weeks back and, you know, got the, the itchy trigger finger like he gets. And actually, it probably goes back further than that. I mean, you know, the thing about this organization is the guy that is the newest is the guy that you trust the most. It tends to work out that way. So, you know, when when Hugh was the newest guy, Sashi was out. So now we bring in Dorsey. Now Dorsey's the newest guy. And actually, he's even newer than Greg, so this all works out. But the, the um, you know, the, 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 the whole... Um, John Dorsey coming in, doing things the way that he did them. You know, I mean, how much credibility is there to the report that he didn't even tell Hugh Jackson who the quarterback, you know, who the selection was going to be until the day before the draft? And then amazingly, when nobody can figure it out for months leading up to it, nobody has any idea who we're going to take. All of a sudden, the day of the draft, everybody and their brother knows that it's going to be Baker Mayfield. And it turned that's who it turned out to be. So... You know, you, you you throw that, you toss that in. You got to wonder how much of these conversations were kind of brewed into it uh, the first time around when he actually brought him in. Like, hey, we're bringing you in here to get, to, to give Hugh real football players. But you know, I got to tell you something. This guy, he he's won one game in two years. He's been here, so I don't know. My, I'm gonna have to do something about this. You know, that happens at some point. You're gonna have to be ready. 
And Dorsey was like, well, you know, in terms of being able to do this the right way, I think that I'll, I'll be proud to, to ha- ha- handle that in whatever fashion you think is appropriate, and, and I'll do it to the best of my concern because that's what's going to be best for this football team. Well, I'm glad to hear that, John Boy. So you, you, it may have been that they were doing this all the way back you know, way back then, or maybe it was some point during the off season that they got together and it was like, look, if, if after the Pittsburgh game, I did, by the way, speculate about that. Um, I, I, I don't remember to whom, but maybe I, it was even to you people, but I, I was like, Hey, if, uh, maybe this is the line, maybe it was the Pittsburgh game where they decided, but see, I was thinking that was going to be the Todd, the Todd question that we were going to bring in Haley after the Pittsburgh game, but no, Pittsburgh game was the line of demarcation, but it's Williams instead. So you get rid of the, the the head coach, you get rid of the offensive coordinator, for all intent, you know. The, so the the two top guys on offense, and now who's left? Well, now we got this guy Freddie Kitchens, and and Al Saunders is still there, along with the other position coaches, Bob Wiley, and uh, the others that we have. Is Wilbur Montgomery still our running backs coach? I don't know. No, it was this guy Kitchens? That's right. Before uh, before he took over here. So now we got a guy that hasn't done it before calling plays. And I don't really, again, I don't really care. Uh, I'm fine with that because I think that what is going to happen now is we're going to see a much more um, real version of Baker Mayfield. I think that we, I'm telling you, if uh, we're going to come out on Sunday and we are going to see a much different offensive team than what we've seen uh, the last several weeks, the last two weeks in particular. Because I'm watching this team the last couple of weeks, and we have been intentionally hamstringing ourselves for some reason. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it was Hugh getting on on Todd's case, and Todd saying, oh, okay, well, if you're going to be that way, then we're just going to blow it up, and none of us are going to win anything. I, who knows? Who knows? I, don't, I have no conception as to how all this went down. All I know is they had to get rid of both guys. It happened because of Discord. And candidly, we're still going to do things the same way, but... Greg may be the guy or he may not be the guy. But for right now, he's the guy. And right now, they are serious about winning games. And look, there's talent on this team that can win some games. When it just comes to talent, there's enough talent on this team to go out there and beat Kansas City on Sunday. Uh, You're crazy. easy. No, I'm I'm being for real. Kansas City is a very well-coached team that has a tremendous quarterback. And so... You know, under the current configuration, I'm not saying that we're going to win the game. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I said at the beginning of the year that we're, we play any team we play that has a good quarterback, we don't really have much of a shot of winning. And that, well, I really said that after the Oakland game. And maybe that's different now without Hugh in there. But I do think that it's a game that we're going to go out there and uh, we're going to play much better in without having this impending sense of doom that no matter what we do, it's going to end up poorly. Now, you combine with that, you know... <laughs> Bup, Bupalis, my dude, the guy that I referenced him probably several times an episode, uh, because there is, you know, for, for some people, they're like you find profundity in everything that they say, and it seems like every time this guy talks about this situation, it, it does strike a profound chord with me. But he was talking about during the presser yesterday how somebody asked him a question about you have three timeouts when they get down, you know, deep in their end, and did you think about. Um, maybe using those timeouts to give yourself a chance to maybe get something before the end of the half. And his answer was like, he didn't understand the question. He just, he was like, why, why would you even ask me that? Like he had no clue what it was the guy was even talking about. And that of course is, is part of the issue is that it was constantly it was and and yesterday was like the perfect example of it Uh, although you know Demarius gets both hands on the ball he takes it back the other way then we go into the locker room up 13 to 7 and it's a totally different game that we end up getting blown out and losing anyway 
It's kind of like when uh, people bemoan the uh, the the uh, false start against the Chargers that we didn't get called. They're like, oh, it totally changed the game. Yeah, the game final would have been 31 to uh, 14 instead of 38 to 14. I mean, it really wouldn't have made any kind of a difference. You know, they just beat the hell out of us because they were a much, 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 much better coach team. And so now, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case moving forward. I get the sense that we're going to be a less coached team. Now, what does that mean? I, I don't. I, I just don't think that Greg is all about the rah rah. I think that. I think a lot of he did a lot of the grandstanding on uh, hard knocks for effect, but I just don't think that's him. I think that he's the type of guy that's, you know, it's kind of like, go out there, do your job, I don't want to hear about it, and I'm going to do my job and work with the defense. You guys on offense, do your thing. And honestly, I think that might be better for this team. I think they may have been coddled a little bit too much these last couple of years with Hugh. And I'll tell you something else, you know, as again, as we sit here, it was about a year ago that all this went down, so it was about a year ago. In fact, yeah, because it was at the same time. Actually, it had to have been over a year ago that we that we 86th uh, Sashi. But I got to tell you something. As I'm watching all of this, um, I, I I think that it, it lends a lot of indication to the notion that we definitely fired the wrong guy. We did not go one and 31 because we did not have enough talent on the team to win more games than that. We could have won more games than that. It was not the fault of Sashi Brown. It was the fault of the guy that we just fired that finishes his career as a Brown 3-36-1. That guy is the reason we went 1-31 and 0-16 last year. We had to go winless because Hugh Jackson was a bad coach. And if it sounds like my tone is changing a little bit, it is because I get mad when I think about that. I get mad when I think about we got to live through the ignominy of going through 0-16 because we had an intransigent, recalcitrant, I almost said a curse word there and I refrained, guy calling the shots for our team, driving the bus, driving it right over the cliff. Not only he drove it off a cliff and then it hit a mountain falling off the cliff. That's how bad it was with him at the reins. And we hit there for, now, at the end of all of that, we got Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. Okay, cool. I can live with that. Because we got those two guys. But now it's time to see, in these final eight games of this season, and with whoever it is that is at the helm, and I'm, I'm telling you, it is not uh, out of the I, I would say at this point it's 50-50 that by the end of the year that they decide to continue rolling with Greg. Because I think that Haslam did uh, really uh, sign on to this idea of continuity and, and not – um, you know, trying to blow everything up all the time. And this is about as as non-blow-up a blow-up as you can have. I mean, you get rid of the entire offensive, you know, brain trust, as it were, and but you keep everything else. And so, I mean, if it could be, I mean, if Greg goes out there, if the team goes out there, looks a lot tougher, plays up to their talent level, let's just, what happens? What happens if the Browns go out there and just beat the hell out of the Chiefs on Sunday? Now, look, at I... As a, as you, you, you know, you and I, we're talking, right? And and man to man, man to woman, whoever you are, and, and talking to me, uh, I, you know, you, we we both know. You and I both know. There ain't no way we're gonna beat Kansas City. There definitely ain't no way that we're gonna go out there and beat them resoundingly. But let's just let's just talk for a little bit. Let's just let's just imagine for a little bit. If that happens, if we go out there and just you know beat up and beat down the chefs on our home field. It is at home, right? Pretty sure it's a home game. What would your thoughts be about Greg from that point forward? Would you would you at that point think that, wow, we had our coach here the whole time and didn't know it? Or will your thought be, we had this talent this entire time and we didn't take advantage of it. 
how much better off could we have been these last couple of years? Okay, I think that uh, I, I, you know, it's it's a it's a nice hypothetical to ponder. Not going to happen because we are. I mean, we're we're still likely to get our faces kicked in on Sunday. But I, I don't. Like, I don't even care if we go out there. If we lose the game forty-two to twenty-five, I'm fine because at least it means that Baker's out there getting quality reps and he's not getting his uh, his development you know thwarted. And again, I don't think that it's done intentionally. I just think that whatever we had going on there, whether it was Hugh directly or the combination of Hugh and Haley, something was screwing with this kid. And I got to be honest with you, I'm I'm grateful. You know this this whole thing. I do have to to have a little bit of a mea culpa here. I do have to I uh, have do a little bit of an about face because I have to give credit to Jimmy Haslam here. I have been one of his you know most avowed critics. I mean, <laughs> thunderously so. But I got to hand it to him here. He did, you know, in the off season after I have been more than anybody else critical of him for not giving a guy a third year. By God, he gave a guy a third year under the most absurd of circumstances. But he did it. He did it. He stuck with it, and he did it. And then, to his credit, when the time came where it was looking obvious. You know, the reason why today was worse than most days and the reason why the impetus to fire Hugh became so pronounced was because of what it looked like it was doing to Baker. And it's one thing to see, you know, if Baker would have come in the start of the year looking like he did yesterday against Pittsburgh, people were like, oh, okay, he's a rookie. It's going to take a while for the rookie to settle down. You see the rookie quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks have a tough time. But no, that's not how it worked out. He came in against the Jets and looked like a star. And then all of a sudden, and then came in against the Raiders and continued looking like a star. And then looked pretty starish against the Baltimore for a lot of that game. And then regressed terribly against the Chargers. And then never really got back on the horse against Tampa. And then yesterday just seemed all out of sorts. So that, again, that tells me that there, there's something awry. There's something going on there that's screwing it up. And look, I don't know this. I'm only going by, you know, secondhand accounts. It's like all of this. I'm being, I'm being extraordinarily candid with you people about what I do know and what I don't know. And what I don't know here is how true this is, but what the word on the street is. And I don't know, I think it was Aditi Kikabwala that, um, maybe she was talking about the Garrett thing. Somebody, one of the, one of the, one of the Twitter people was out there saying that, that Baker wasn't exactly unhappy about this, that this had happened. And I, I gotta be honest, when, you know, when I'm, when I'm watching, it was the last episode of Hard Knocks. And I see, you know, the, the final, it was, it may have been the final scene, but it was one of the final scenes of the whole thing. He sits Baker down at his, at his desk and he says, all right, Bake, we're going to make you the second string quarterback. Now, this is a big responsibility and we expect you, and I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, Baker Mayfield is going to be a part of this franchise a hell of a lot longer than you are, you schmuck. And you just know that while he's sitting there taking it, you just know in his head he's thinking, I should be the starting quarterback of this team. This is ridiculous that I'm going through this, but I'm going to do what I have to do. And, uh, you know, he's shown that um, since he's been out on the field. So I, I am I'm, uh, I'm quite heartened by the the news today. I'm, I'm feeling... Um, jubilant even about where we are as an organization now with the um, the ascension not even so much the ascension of, of Greg Williams I don't really have excuse me I don't really have a whole lot in the way of uh, expectations for for Triple G 
I am just more of the I, – I don't expect him to put any roadblocks in Baker's way. Doesn't mean to Baker – I mean, look, he can still go out there and screw it up. It may be that instead of um, getting sacked, you know, five or six times or being under pressure the whole game, that he throws three or four picks. And I don't – look, I don't care. It doesn't – nothing this year – when when the Oakland game happened, it basically was like the end of the year for me. I, and especially the San Diego game, it was even more so. It's like, this, this team is not, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Now, I'm not full on the tank wagon, because quite honestly, I don't really look out there at anybody next year coming out saying, oh, we got to get this guy. You know, we got to get Hingle McCringleberry from uh, Boise Tech. He's, you know, he, he can really spin it. I, I, there's nobody out there that I'm looking at, like, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of tackle prospects, and I, I think that needs to be you know, our focus, but, uh, I, but honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm down for winning as many games as we can win this year. Oh yeah. That that's, that's what I'm all about. And if we're able to go out there and salvage a couple more wins for this year, psh, yeah, baby, that's awesome. I'm loving that. I'll be very, very happy if that materializes. But it's all about next year. It's all about the 2019 season. And now the, you know, there, there is no more because, you know, it's entirely possible. And again, this is something that, you can't, you know, there's things that you can't know, but you can just kind of, um, after a while, you look back on it, and with, you know, kind of the, the, the benefit of hindsight and retrospect, you can say, you know, maybe things went the way they did because of X. And, you know, my my, my X factor here that I'm, I'm considering, you know, I mentioned that, that uh, Dorsey... Um, didn't tell Hugh who he was going to be drafting, who the quarter, and everybody knew it was going to be a quarterback. Nobody knew who it was going to be. Hugh also talked about during the you know the pre-draft process. He said some things about uh, Deshaun Kaiser. You know, I can't wait to see what you know a second-year Deshaun Kaiser looks like. And look, honestly, that that was me too. I was looking forward to see what a, a second-year Deshaun Kaiser would look like. Turns out it wasn't all that great from the limited amount that we did see from him this year. But it's entirely possible. And then then you go from there to. You know, what is the point of signing Tyrod, signing, you know, trading for Tyrod Taylor, and then you announce him as the starter, and you're not even going to think twice about it before you even know who your quarterback is going to be? What's that about? Like, how does, like, is it, is it more than just, I'm shell-shocked over playing a rookie for the last year, and so I am going to get a, a, a veteran, and I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, it's good. or is it maybe more than that? is not playing Baker for the time that he didn't play Baker for no other reason than simply Baker wasn't one of his guys. And I say that and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. but you know what? You may you may make that noise. You may you may react that way. But there's also a part of you thinking, damn it, that makes sense. That actually does make sense. You know, maybe a lot of this had to do with just personalities and him not wanting to get Baker out on the field until he absolutely had to do it. And then it makes you wonder, like, what would this kid have looked like if he would have been in there from the whole time? And my answer to that is, you know, if he would have been Hugh's guy, and these are the things that you can't know. Now, Hugh is, um, well, he's still getting paid by the team, so I don't expect for it to be any kind of a tell-all coming anytime soon. But it would be nice, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the thing with, with McCarron. You know, I would love, you know, I don't imbibe any longer, but if I were, you know, to be sharing adult beverages, you know, in the vicinity of Sashi Brown, I would try to, like, you know, locate him, like, befriend him, let him know, you know, who I am. Not, not like, who I am. I'm easy weed. Like, who the fuck are you? He doesn't care. I'm saying, like, just that I'm a Browns fan, that I've watched the team and, you know, all that. Um, 
And then just gonna be like, hey, Sashi, come on, man. I, I promise you, I will keep this between us, brother, forever. Did you bomb that McCarran trade? Just tell me you bombed that McCarran trade, because I never will believe that you screwed that trade up. And I would hope that in that setting that he would be honest with me and tell me that, yes, I bombed it, because there was no way I was going to give up a second and a third. Although, in retrospect, what did we end up doing with that second and third? I believe that the second we ended up trading down and ultimately became uh, uh, Chad Thomas, right? And what did we do with the third? I don't even remember. It Was, was the third? That's not... I, I think we traded that away as well. Point is, the two picks that we, we would have given up for McCarran, I don't think we actually end up doing anything with those picks. I could be wrong. But at the, that's assuming that it wasn't uh, one of the high picks. If it was one of the high picks, then yeah, absolutely. Because I'm not even sure that McCarran being on the team last year would have led to us getting that elusive win that we were, we were just trying to get him so we'd get a couple of wins. And I'm not sure that that would have happened even if he was our quarterback last year, even for a couple of games. Because he's not that he's not that good. Is he even playing for anybody right now? I think he's available. Wouldn't that be something if we signed McCarron <laughs> after all of this? At any rate, all that to say that you just don't know like what sort of personal you know internecine things are going on with these guys. You know, has Hugh been been uh, you know carrying a grudge because we got rid of his guy Kaiser? Has he been carrying a grudge because... Or is all of this just... Is, does none of that matter and all Hugh is is a guy that's looking to shift blame no matter what? You know, some of these questions are... Fortunately, we don't have to worry about being answered because this chapter is now over. And the chapter that we are in now is the one where Greg Williams is going to be the interim head coach with basically no expectations. And, you know, Greg is going to get out of this with full options. You know, Hugh Jackson may very well never coach again. Todd Haley may never be an offensive coordinator again after all this. But Greg is going to, you know, like, he's going to have a legitimate shot not only to be the head coach of this team after this year, but I think that beyond that, if we hire another guy, and by the way, my guy that I would right now um, 100% put my, my support behind is John DeFilippo. That's, that is who – Flip would be my guy. If we could get that dude, that would be my guy. Remember, he was with us with Petten in uh, 2015. Though because of that, he's seen our organization firsthand. He may not want any part of it, and who can blame him if that's the case? Okay, fine. But let's just say that we hire Coach Flip. It may be that Greg Williams has enough uh, clout to remain as the defensive coordinator, which would be another you know weird thing. But it could happen. The last time we were in this spot was when uh, we, we took Terry Robisky. There's a name that very few of you all remember. You may remember that we drafted a guy named Brian Robisky, who then immediately disappeared, and we never heard from him again, even though he really looked like a talent out of Ohio State, came here, did nothing. Uh, his dad was a... Uh, I think he was the offensive coordinator for us, maybe receivers coach or something. And he had actually been, you know, Robisky was an interesting guy. He was an interim coach with the Redskins before becoming our interim coach, which was, you know, before. So guy never never got a chance uh, to go to the real dance, but he had a couple of times flirting with us and uh, up in Washington. So, you know, and I don't know, man, if I'm, if I'm a betting man, I would look at it and say, we're probably going to end up hiring somebody because we're probably not going to win that many games. I would think that from now and the end of the year, Greg is going to have to win at least five games, I think, to get a legitimate shot at the head coaching spot. He's going to have to have a winning record. He's going to have to go, excuse me, five and three if he's going to have a legit shot to take the reins and become the coach of this team moving forward in perpetuity. 
And, uh, you know, can that happen? Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. We've already beaten the Ravens once. That could happen again. We haven't played the Bengals yet. And I'm not going to get into the entire schedule. I'm just saying that, you know, the talent, talent-wise, we could hang with anybody. Uh, and I think that if we, uh, we kind of get back to a, uh, you know, an offense that kind of takes advantage of Baker's strengths instead of this weirdo thing that we've been doing, the most predictable offensive and apparently defensive alignments that, uh, I mean, offensively, I know what we were doing every play. Defensively, it's clear that the, the you know, the, the opposing offensive coordinator knows what we're doing lined up on every play. And Miles Garrett complained a little bit about that today, saying that our game plan should have been, or I guess this was last night, should have been more like it was in the first game against Pittsburgh than it was this this time around. Okay, fine, whatever. Maybe, um, I, I, I don't know that giving Greg more responsibility as the coach is going to make it better for his defense, but, you know, on balance, I think the defense, if the offense can get some production, the defense is good enough to win. Uh, at least it has played that way at times. You know, you don't you don't lead the league in turnovers because you don't have guys making plays. You know, um, and now having said that, one of the guys that made plays yesterday, Derek Kindred, we should really just cut that guy. Like when when he you know runs up and just bounces off of Connor, which is you know it's one thing to totally misdiagnose the play, be out of position, and all of that. He diagnosed it, got there in position, is right there to make the hit, and then doesn't even bother trying to wrap up. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I don't know that firing Hugh fixes that. But um, there's probably other things about this team overall. There's probably some other teams about or other things about the way uh, this team has been playing and has been constituted that that um, is going to be a benefit now that they can be, uh, you know, kind of unencumbered from all of that. And we're going to see. I mean, we're going to find out as early as this week. You know, and if the, if the chefs go out there and beat us down 42 to nothing, all right, fine. Then we know, we, we can know right there that we're not going, you know, that, that it's officially time to start draft watching. It's officially time to start uh, coach scouting and, you know, and all of that. And by the way, I mentioned John DeFilippo. You know, another guy that would that'd be really intriguing, and I know people, you know, don't, wouldn't want to hear this necessarily, but what about Jim Harbaugh? You know, he was a very good coach at, when he when he was with the 49ers some really bizarre things happened at the end of that whole deal there in San Francisco but he was you know he was there before the wheels fell off and you know i don't know how much of that had to do with him there was a whole bunch of you know guys retiring and and player it just just a, a bizarre circumstance there with that with that organization and it still seems like they 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 got of course, I've never been a big fan of Kyle Shanahan. But as a coach, you know, you've seen Harbaugh. He had success at Stanford and immediately had success with the 49ers. He seems to be the type of guy that connects well with NFL players, having been one himself. And uh, I just don't think that he has that sort of – I don't know. I think some. I think that there are actually guys that are better at the NFL level than they are at the coaching level because you don't have the same recruiting angle. And just it's just not the same for everybody. And I don't know this. I'm not trying to put words or thoughts into Harbaugh's mouth or brain. It may be that uh, he loves Michigan. He never, ever, ever wants to leave the Wolverines, and uh, he can stay there forever, uh, continually getting his face kicked in by Urban Meyer whenever they play every year. And if that's what he wants to do, then more power to him. I'm just saying that you know my first guy would be John DeFilippo, and probably after him would be Harbaugh. Now, I mean, again, I'm just—I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm being somewhat facetious. My real guy, if I could pick one guy out of a hat, and he would be my guy. Well, okay, fine. If I was going to get my dream come true guy, Bruce Arians, right now, that would be my guy. Right now, let's get him. Let's put him in there. I would just—I mean, I would—I would weep tears of joy if we could get that guy. 
But that's probably not going to happen. So the next guy, Rob Chudzinski, baby. Get him in here. That's eh, probably not going to happen either. Uh, the Filippo probably isn't going to happen because of his tenure in Cleveland. So Harbaugh actually is looking like more and more. But, I mean, I have no idea what his interest level is. It may, I mean, he left the NFL to go coach in college. So, you know, there's a lot of people have this idea that the guy – a lot of people uh, like Baker's coach from uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley – you know, I just don't have that same sense of this is a guy that's going to come in and be successful at the NFL level. Not, and and I, you know, again, I say this all the time with about everything, but there is no one size fits all way of doing this. Offensive and defensive coordinators have been both successful and unsuccessful as coaches with us. Right? I mean, we've had guys that have been coordinators that have been successful and unsuccessful uh, with... I know it's been a while since we've had anybody that's been successful with us, but I'm just saying. There are guys out there that have come from the ranks of the coordinator role that have both failed and succeeded. So there's really nothing definitive about that. This is a guy is going to be successful or is not going to be successful if he is a coordinator. Same thing is true with a guy coming from the college ranks. You know, that's usually the, the two different types that you're going to get. Either a guy that's a coordinator at the, at the NFL level already or a guy that's at the head coaching spot, but he's moving to uh, the NFL. And there are guys, you know, there's mixed bags for that. There are guys that, that do very, very well, and there are guys that come in and show that they are totally unprepared and can't handle the pressure at the big league, Chip Kelly. I'm saying that for every type of success story, there is equal parts unsuccess using the exact same model. So there is no, you know, anytime it's, it's kind of like when people talk about, this is one of the things, and I'm, I, I will, I will flame on you people a little bit. For those of you that kept repeating the inanity over the first couple of weeks of the year that, yeah, you know, the only way to do this is you got to, you know, you can't let your quarterback get beat up out there. Rookie quarterback, you got to sit the guy and you got to da 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 And they talked about it like it was the only way to do things. And it's not. It's never been the only way to do things. I'm not saying it's the worst way to do things. I'm saying everything is situationally dependent. And in our case, this year was not the year that we needed to sit the starting quarterback. The year that we, or that we had to, that we had to, to uh, sit the rookie quarterback. The year that we drafted Billy Vegas, okay, yeah. That year, we absolutely had to sit the rookie quarterback. But it's different depending on the guy. It's always different depending on who the guy is. And so that's going to be the case here. If we decide to go out there and find another head coaching candidate, there's nothing about his pedigree, there's nothing about his experience, there's nothing about what he says at his press conference, there's nothing about any of that that is going to tell any of us anything about how well he's going to do, because I'm here to tell you people, Hugh Jackson was as highly qualified, as highly billed as anybody could have possibly been. In fact, yours truly, I, Easy Wee, was among those on DBN that was repeatedly making the case that good coaches are not going to consider us because of our lackluster performance of firing guys after giving them less than two years on the job to complete what they don't have a chance to to even uh, get really started. And I got the business given to me because we then hired Hugh Jackson, who was, again, and not just, you know, in the country, you know, he was the number one coaching prospect for those of us here. I mean, every day it seemed on on the uh, the thread on the chow that the guy was being named as this is the guy that should be our head coach. And so, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that like to take that back now. So I had to admit that I was wrong because the universally acknowledged best coaching prospect out there took the job with us, um, and. 
all the stuff. I mean, he had been a head coach before, and he had been a successful coordinator, and people thought of him as a quarterback whisperer because of the way that he worked with uh, um, Andy Dalton. Although it didn't, you know, people sort of actually realize it didn't really have anything old to do with Dalton, but you know, be that as it may. All the right stuff was in place for Hugh Jackson. All that it means is that none of that matters. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is the guy going to get the players motivated to play on game day, and that's it. That's it. That's all that there is. And, yeah, he's going to have to be – okay, along with that, they're going to have to be able to scheme well and not be so totally predictable on both sides of the ball all the time. And then, hey, if you throw in some situational game management skills on top of that – you know, I'll love the guy, and I don't care who he is. I don't care anything about him. I don't care what his background is. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he sounds like. There's nothing. I don't. The I don't care at all. Anything about. I don't want you know an offensive guy. I don't want a defensive guy. I don't care. Anybody that we get can succeed or fail. It's just about getting that right guy. And we're in a spot now where, you know, the, the Sashi Brown model of doing things was get so many assets that there's just no way you can screw them all up. And so you end up getting um, better by attrition, kind of reverse attrition, as it were. Then Meathead comes along and it's like, nope, the way that we're doing things now is we're going to pick them. And we just have to nail the darts on the dartboard. So far, the guy's been doing that. So if we do go out and try to find a coach, I sincerely hope that John Dorsey has a major say in who that guy is. I don't expect that he's going to have the final decision. In fact, I am happy to say right now, to go on record, um, because maybe me going on record will prove it not to be true, but there's no way. Jimmy Haslam is going to hire the next coach, whoever that is, whenever that is. And it's not a guarantee that it's going to be after this year. It probably is. Because I don't see this team... Well, look, I mean, actually, I'm totally wrong. If, If I'm right about this offense going out there and looking improved... Like, if Bake goes out there on Sunday and looks a lot more like he was against the Jets and the Raiders than he did against the Chargers, Bucks, and Steelers, if we see that Baker as opposed to the one that we've seen the last couple of weeks, well then, hey kids, guess what? There's not really a cap on any number of games that we can win this year because we've always had a, a talented team. Yeah, we got some injuries in the secondary, and it'll be uh, nice to get Joe Schobert back when that happens. Uh, probably got exposed with him being out yesterday as well. Um, there's also some uh, talk that Terrence Mitchell might come back. What a... What? You know, I got to tell you something. The, the Kansas City folks, when we brought over Dorsey, was like, you know, this guy, he's going to bring in guys, and you're going to be like, you know, why is he bringing in that dude? And you're going to be amazed at how well these guys play. Terrence Mitchell, all day. I mean, I, I, I thought of all the guys that we brought in, all the cornerbacks we brought in, he was probably the worst of the bunch. But no, sir. He was... Um, he turned out to be the best of the bunch and a, and a serviceable quality uh, number two cornerback opposite Denzel Ward, and so we maybe we'll get him back by the end of the year. Uh, so I mean, this isn't this is not out of the realm of possibility here that Greg could get this thing turned around and we could actually see some quality football. And and honestly, if we just go out there, you know, if Mahomes goes out there and and you know, Mahomes goes out there and tosses eight touchdown passes against us, which is completely within the realm of possibility. Then uh, you know, then then whatever it's it's what it is, and I don't even care just as long as I get to see a little bit of excitement on the other side. And if every game for the rest of this year goes this way, it doesn't matter at this point. Nobody's on the hot seat anymore. There's an enormous amount of pressure that has been taken off of this entire thing here, because now even as fans, we can kind of look back like, all right, cool, we lost, but whatever. You know, we got an interim guy in there anyway. We're gonna go and get a real coach. And how did Baker look this week? Did he get? some quality reps did he get knocked around too much you know they mentioned during the uh 
the uh, presser that, you know, Bruce Arians was, you know, mentioned that Tim Couch would have had a much better career if he wouldn't have just gotten the, you know, the, the, the Jesus knocked out of him his first two years. Totally different circumstance. I mean, if you were, if you watched that expansion team, look, our offensive line, <laughs> as bad as our offensive line what has been these last couple of weeks, it pales in comparison to how lousy it was those first two years of Tim Couch. I am not hardly exaggerating here. And Couch, at the same time, was tough as nails. I mean, Couch, I remember more than one occasion where Couch would stand there and just get blasted but deliver the pass. And it would be a completed pass. And, I mean, Couch was tough, man. And he did, as as rookie second-year player, the dude was just beaten. He was beaten worse than David Carr. And I know David Carr, you know, he had, I think he may have had lasting psychological problems because of what happened to him there. But all that to say that um, what we have going on with Baker isn't anywhere close to what we had going on with Couch. Uh, But what we had going on with Baker up until today may have been what was going on with the Sean Kaiser and Cody Kessler the last couple of years. As in rookie quarterbacks getting all sorts of bad and wrong information about how to do things in the NFL from the guy that is now on his way out the door. So, you know, with that, um, there's there's a lot to, uh, to, to kind of uh, watch for now to see uh, how all this is going to shake out as of now. Hugh Jackson is out. Todd Haley is out. Greg Williams is the new head coach. Freddie Kitchens is the new offensive coordinator. And guess what? Tomorrow's the trade deadline. We may have some activity, and, uh, you know, I don't know who's out there. Maybe we go after Demarius Thomas or somebody like that. Uh, people are talking about getting a wide receiver. You know, who knows? Time will tell. But um, as as I, I will tell you this, as events unfold, if it is necessary to once again this week come to you from the vaunted studios here of the Easy Does It program, um, I will do that and we'll, we'll try to um, – to, to keep it all relevant here. Because, look, man, I get it. Whenever these big sorts of things happen, you want to hear people talking about it. And I'm not brilliant. I'm not even smart, I don't think. But one thing I do bring, I hope anyway, is a different point of view, a different perspective, and maybe something, you know, come into this conversation that maybe you hadn't thought of before. And if you have, then you know what? It's also good to kind of hear some of the things you've thought about be validated by somebody that knows how to talk, right? Right? And look, I may have my problems, but I do know how to talk, y'all, so I can at least do that. And I have enjoyed talking to you. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It. Um, And this is a big day. Um, It was as big a day last year when uh, when I had a similar um, conversation with you about the sacking of Sashi Brown, but feeling a lot better about things as uh, we move forward and so uh, I am going to move forward and I will look forward to talking to you again and when that happens or until that happens until next time good luck god bless sir my name is Spencer Hall my name is Jason Kirk my name is Ryan Nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown full Voltron keep telling you we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts, or coaches making terrible decisions, or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.